We're here Hello. again, and maybe people are listening. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Uh, I don't know how to start these things. Hmm. I think we'll find our way into it eventually. Mm-hmm. We'll find our collective way to introduce our episodes, maybe. Yeah, there's got to be like a, like maybe it will just happen, like the way the name came to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're here again on yes. our podcast, Mary and Jonathan talking about things. And yeah, the episode that we have today, we recorded back in July, right? Wasn't it July? I think you're, you might be right about that. Or August. Mm-hmm. And we were still in the middle of living systems, which uh, if you've heard us talk, we've probably mentioned um, <laughs> with our wonderful teacher, Leah Garza. And mm. yeah, so we, we got through the end of that class. We decided to start doing this podcast. And yeah, I don't know. I feels like a lot has happened since then, but this conversation upon re-listening seemed kind of like, I don't know. It wasn't, I don't like, what would, what would you say? It feels timeless to me. It feels very um, appropriate for listening anytime, basically. Um, mm-hmm. I also just realized, I think what really struck me about this particular episode, and you and I kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording, is that it kind of feels, um, I I think I can really feel how the energetic foundation and the friendship that we've built with each other, but also with Leah throughout Mm -hmm. the whole year of being in Living Systems, really came through in this conversation. And I think we just jumped right in, right? There were a lot of terms that were defined, but we didn't really kind of break it down in the way Mm -hmm. that we did in the class. And there was already a shared vocabulary between you and I and Leah. And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I I personally, upon re-listening, really loved that aspect of the conversation. It really felt like this is kind of the vibe, you know, if you do decide to be in one of Leah's containers, um, this is the vibe. I think casually it's pretty representative. Serious. Casually serious. Seriously casual. Seriously casual. casual. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, that brings up a good point that at the very end of this, you said something that then developed mm-hmm. into the name of the podcast. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we uh, we joked about it for a while, and then it was kind of just like shoot i think that's it but um mm. but yeah that was that was really the vibe being with leah's like we're just hanging out shooting the shit and i think when you like if somebody reads the description of this you might see terms that you don't recognize or maybe you're very familiar but yeah um it's like you mentioned before we started recording it's like that sensation of just being like I'm just going to let this, like, whatever lands, lands, and what doesn't, that's fine. And Mm -hmm. uh, this is obviously not meant to be exhaustive, but, like, a scratching of the surface to get into how this stuff might um, apply in your life or the communities that you're in. Yeah, yeah. I think there's an invitation that I want to extend here to folks to just kind of listen um, and feel into the vibe you know rather than getting like stuck in like oh what does that word mean you know i think there's 
there's a lot to be gleaned from really feeling into the vibe of it and just kind of allowing yourself to intuitively pick up on like what's behind that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you can really sense, like you already said, that like rapport that we've built over time, but that Leah is somebody who is very, you know, like on, on paper, you read her bio, you're like, dang, this person's like done a ton of stuff, but like in a way that is so approachable. And so, um, yeah, it is just this casually serious thing that we um, we like to get into. Yeah, totally. I think, Leah, what I also um, kind of gleaned from just re-listening to the conversation was that it's really clear that Leah has been in the education space for such a long time because there's a way where she is able to transfer and communicate complex ideas and make it really understandable from Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. normal people, you know, like a, I don't know, just a normal schmuck like me kind of (laughs) perspective, you know? Yeah. Some of these concepts are pretty elusive and they're pretty emergent, but I think listening to how Leah talks about them with as little words as possible, I was like, oh yeah, I really get that. You know, I feel that. Mm. Yeah, like there's a synthesis the way that she takes it and distills it for us. Um, yeah, like looking back at all of the things that we covered, there's so much we could still say about the topics. I mean, that's probably why both of us, I think both of us are still carrying mm-hmm. on with this totally. course again. Totally. Um, because there's just such richness and depth that like, you think you know it, but then the more time you sit with it and the more time that, yeah, this was another thing that came up. It's like letting it really be in your body and like live through your body. And Leah is like such an example of that, like how mm-hmm. this has gone through her, her body as a living system. Yeah. Yeah. It also reminds me, Mary, what you said about how I felt like this conversation was really, you know, we kind of dived right in to like some of the concepts and asking Leah to to briefly talk about the concepts. And it started more conceptual or maybe a little bit more like, I don't know, like, I don't know if pedagogical is the right word for it, but it, it was definitely, we talked more about concepts in the beginning. And then as we began to really kind of settle into the conversation it became more of a personal conversation and then towards mm. the end it was very much like a share of personal experience and you really get to know Leah especially as a human being which I really mm-hmm. kind of like that actually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was nice to kind of notice the conversation melting more into I don't know just the conversation between three friends or two friends yeah. and their teacher friend teacher anyways but yeah you get it well (laughs) one thing i feel like we're trying to keep this short but one thing that i want to say because of like since this development and this is like the sense that i have um so just what was that like a week and a half ago um i got back from both meeting jonathan in person i mean we met each other but you know on your turf in new york and then going to mexico and meeting up with some people from living systems and there including was this, Leah. Including Leah. <laughs> um, our queen. And I'm going to hate that I said that. But it's true. Um, 
And there was this afternoon where a few of us were just like bobbing in the water and talking about some of these same things. And I really feel like even though, Jonathan, you weren't there, it's like everybody was with us there. And that's Mm. kind of the feeling when I think back to this conversation, like that's the feeling that we're all just like floating together in this like ocean wave that's like carrying us, you know, like it's Mm. very, it's comfy. Uh, Mary, I love that. That's like, I really see your Aquarius sun shining there. Oh, I love thank that. you. Really love that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm excited for people to listen. Okay. Here yeah. you go. This is our Have conversation it. with Leah. <laughs> <laughs> Take it. Take it. <laughs> <sighs> So excited for you to be here, Leah. Thank Me you for too. doing this with us. Oh my god, I'm really excited. It's cool. Yeah. So, Mary, do you want to start? Uh, sure. Well, so since we're talking about living systems, because that's kind of why we're all here. Um, yeah, just wondering. I don't know if we want to start with just like in general, what led you to living systems, or kind of like how how you found yourself leading our class. Cause yeah. that's, I'm sure quite the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so I am a PhD student at Pacifica Graduate Institute and I study community liberation, indigenous and eco psychology. And basically we're a depth psychology school, but my program is, uh, we use a decolonial lens. So everything that we study we apply decoloniality to it. Um, And I think, you know, there's so many tracks you can, so many strands that people get interested in and different, you know, some people go way deep into indigenous psychology. Some people go way deep into, you know, community work or actual applications of work, like um, clinical work. And I found myself drawn to, post-humanism, which, you know, we've talked about a lot in the class, which I can talk about later, but um, I found myself trying to understand the curriculum through the lens of the Akashic Records, because I'm an Akashic Records practitioner. Um, And so for people that don't know, the Akashic Records are the vibrational record of the soul from from its inception. That's a a pretty basic, I wouldn't even describe it that way anymore. But essentially, we're looking at soul level um, wisdom or soul level knowledge. And so I had to make it make sense when I went into school. And some of the things that were really foundational for me, which are like our presuppositions in our class, um, that I I, I just I had to understand how everything um, that exists somehow has a purpose or a a point for being here or as an entanglement or is in, and really what I found through my education is like, Oh, it's relationships. That's what makes everything have a point because you, you, everyone and everything is in some kind of symbiosis, some kind of 
sympoesis and some kind of like relationality. Um, and so living systems is kind of the culmination of like all of these influences like Vandana Shiva and Maturana and Varela and like just all of these people that I've been reading, Gloria Ansaldua, um, Living Systems was like my personal braiding of all the strands of the Akashic records and the curriculum and and my personal um, perspectives and opinions. And then since I'm not working for a university and I'm just like offering this to the public, I can kind of do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> I'm not beholden <laughs> to like any value system. So that's why we have like the presuppositions and that's why we've brought in a lot of spiritual teachers and um, yeah. There are so many um, vocab words that I was just like, Ooh, that one, explain that one. Explain I know. One. But I, I, yeah. I think just to go back um, earlier on when you were talking about decoloniality, I yeah. feel like that's a, that's an important distinction from yeah. some of the other approaches to this more, I don't know, like the material that you share with us, some of it is very, I don't even want to say that it's like dry, but just that like trying to read these papers and yeah. then, like, what does it actually mean from that particular yeah. lens? And then also just like how, how that particular approach being with the Akashic records that it's like, I'm very curious. I know I'm asking you multiple questions at once. That's okay. Like, the thing about like bringing the Akashic records into it, it's like, for you, would you say that to do this work, or at least maybe just in your experience, like weaving in the spirituality and the practices of <clears throat> whatever, like whatever those things are, um, that, that, I don't know, it just changes the approach. That's, you wouldn't get that if we were just doing it in an academic setting. Yeah. You wouldn't even get decoloniality probably if you were in an academic setting, because mm. it's such a it is so fringe still on the academically as in terms of like theory. And so decoloniality refers to um, a paradigm or a lens that resists the imposition of colonialism in our way of being. So coloniality is this idea that our our lives and bodies have taken on the values and the norms of colonialism, colonialism that arose from the modernist era and decoloniality is like a lens. It's a, it's a, it's, it's really truly like, like a lens or a filter. It's like a way of thinking about the world and experience and recognizing where you see the colonial imposition. Um, so for example, there's a lot of post, you know, I'm into post-humanism and there's a lot of post-humanism that is on the one hand, it's somewhat decolonial because it goes so far against traditional like academic theories, but it's not explicitly decolonial unless if they're talking about actual colonialism. Do you, does that make sense? Like I'm trying to like, uh, so you're talking about how these other lenses, right? Yeah. would be talking about actual, like, physical colonization, right? And not really talking maybe about the ways that we have been influenced by colonialism that are not 
direct colonialism. Yeah, 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 exactly. So like colonization refers to the actual physical land grabs, takeovers of land, genocide, that kind of those physical actions. Colonialism is kind of like a, a philosophical framework that, you know, in, in, that we can study in theory. And then coloniality, which was really um, coined by Quijano and Maldonado Torres, refers to this idea of like, it now lives in our bodies. Like the way that colonialism, you know, and there's, you know, we, we've gone over it in the class, like all the different ways that colonialism creates reality. Like we think we're individuals and we're not in relationship with everything. We think that, you know, we scientize all of our knowledge in order to make knowledge valid. We like, you know, all of these things that are like so cooked into our culture, they live in our bodies, they live in our ways of being. Um, and I would actually say that, like, most things in the world are not talking about even colonization, mm-hmm. much less coloniality. Like, it's just, you know, like, it's just not, it's not, it's it's becoming more present. But you could go to college and get a whole degree and take maybe one or two classes where they mention it totally. out of, like, however many, you know, 40 classes you have to take or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah, that that also makes me think about how there is this somatic experience of it, that it's one thing to talk about it intellectually and from a living systems approach. There's no way to talk about that without also having the body, like without the Mm -hmm. embodied somatic sense. Yeah, it's not really experiencing all of it or if you, well, you're yeah. experiencing it, but you're just not necessarily conscious of it. Yeah. I mean, that's like the work of Franz Fanon. What Fanon teaches us is that it's like it can't happen without the body like they're like, you know, um, like they talk about like Fanon talks about like like blackness only exists in as a contrast to whiteness, like whiteness created it. And it doesn't exist outside of the body. It, it's it's literally in the body. Um, there are a lot of people that are getting into what you're talking about, like like Resma Menicum and the embodied social justice movement. Um, people that are they're not decolonial enough for me, <laughs> but they are like. <laughs> They're looking at the ways that the nervous system operates when the body is under the duress of these oppressive structures. Yeah. Something that I see a lot happening in the quote unquote spiritual circles too, is that people throw around these terms Mm -hmm. and they refer to different things. Like from what you were just saying, like they may be talking about like colonization or talking about colonialism or talking about coloniality but then not really differentiating those terms yes yeah Mm -hmm. it's very annoying yeah so i'm curious about that annoyance like ooh, yeah to use an approach that i learned from my good friend leah garza (laughs) if we can call ourselves good friends um, (laughs) we can what's the the, we can yes (laughs) we we um what's the unmet need underneath that annoyance you know, like, yeah. Like, why is it annoying for me to see other spiritual people throw these words around? 
Yeah, I mean, not that you would necessarily have to share about like your personal whatever. Oh, I will. There is something. (laughs) Yes, Um, because there's something that's so I think juicy underneath that because it's like okay, people think that they're doing this like embodied work or like we're doing work, but then Mm -hmm. what does that look like for you? Like, what's your dream if people were really doing it and going there? Yeah. Well, so. One thing that I have come to believe about the United States, and that's where I am, and that's where I do my work, and that's where the the nexus of spiritual practitioners that I'm enmeshed with are all in the United States, is that a side effect of our society is that everything we do is performative. Everything we do is performative because at the core we are subjects of the state. We are, um, I forget what somebody, I heard somebody call us like consumer. I forget what it was. It was like, like we're not citizens, we're consumers. Mm -hmm. We're not um, individuals. We're not sovereign or autonomous. We are um, truly the tentacles that make the state work and make the corporate government work in the U S. And so whenever we try to do things like big social justice movements or any kind of movements, it is largely performative because that's all we have at our disposal. Mm-hmm. We, and so like it, that gives me a lot of compassion for all of us that are doing the work Uh, I put quotes around work, but like, you know, that all of us that want to be doing the good work of whatever social justice or, you know, whatever that is, it is largely performative because that's all we have at our disposal because the real power, I mean, I don't believe this, but like, until we make a movement toward our own individual power, the power sits in the hands of the government and the state. So when you go to a protest, when you post about decolonize this or that you're still participating in a system that is reifying the things that you're trying to dismantle. And so it it is in a lot of ways, virtue signaling. And I, and I'm not using that to be judgmental because I spent my life. Hey man, I, I am number one performer. Like I want everyone to think I'm great and doing the work and doing, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm saying we're all in it together. We're like, you know, it's, it's hard to explain because I don't want to like, I don't want to diminish the efforts that people make, but you know, when, when we started at Pacifica, we had this old veteran, uh, a depth psychologist. She went to the union. She studied at the Union Institute. She's done work all, all over the world in decoloniality. She's an elder in our field and she's very well known. And she told us like in our first session that she and her circles considered the civil rights movement, the great defeat. And that tells you a lot about people that are doing decolonial work are dissatisfied with the movements of social justice. Mm because it is largely performative. It is still aspiring to find equity in the system that is inequitable for at least some people somewhere on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think brings me to one of the questions I wanted to ask you about, which was Mm -hmm. 
to talk about your favorite topic, ontology. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> maybe give us a little bit of a background about how you understand ontology, yeah. and then why are you so drawn to it? Yeah, nerd alert. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, for real, like it is the most esoteric, nerdy thing that you could get obsessed with. Um, so, ontology is the study of being or reality. And I like to tell people it asks, it asks us to look at what counts as reality. And that seems like, I love it because on the surface you're like, Oh, okay. I get that. But then you start peeling back layers and you're like, Oh, that I consider that real, but not that, or this Mm -hmm. thing is constructing something in my life, but I don't know what the basis is, but like, you know, like, um, oh, I, I live in Los Angeles and the church of Scientology is really big here. Mm-hmm. And when people, people are, I, whatever you're going to say about Scientology, whatever. But one of the arguments I hear from people is like, can you believe the stuff that their, their core belief system is like, you know, people have these the the remains of these ghosts in there i'm butchering it for any scientologists listening like the like these ghosts <laughs> like remains come into your psyche and that's what makes you mentally ill and so you have to get clear and like so they do all these things and like can you believe that and i'm like i mean is that any different than a you know faceless nameless all powerful you know God that sent his son who died here and then his body disappeared. And then mm-hmm. we, you know, like, like, is it, mm-hmm. is it like we, 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 we accept Christianity as so normal that the fan, the fantasticalness of it, the whimsy of the stories, the like impracticality of it is just like flies right by us. But then when we see something like Scientology and we know maybe I have an issue with that church and the way they act politically and the things they do to their people, we put it on the story of the belief system because that doesn't, that's not reality. That doesn't count for reality. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that's maybe a bad example, but yes, ontology is what, what counts as reality. And so when, when I learned what it was, what I realized was oh my gosh, we have been hoping for things to happen in our reality, but our reality is not designed to give us those things. So like, and this is a real bummer for people, but, you know, colonialism, if you, if you study the, like the early origins of modernist movement and colonialism and the, you know, early anthropology and race scientists and all that stuff. and the, the, the history of, of enslavement in the Middle Passage, you see that the development of capitalism and the development of race go hand in hand. They can't be separated. Yeah. And yet there's this movement toward racial justice as if we could find justice for racism and not and, and just totally ignore that it is here to um provide us with the context of capitalism Mm -hmm. like there's no and and i I don't want to get esoteric because i I don't want to get like vague because i know when people are like dismantle capitalism like what does that Mm -hmm. even mean but but like when you're not going to put those two 
you got to at least put those two things together in a conversation. But that's not how the movement is going. The movement is like racial justice can happen in and of itself. And that just doesn't, our reality is not designed to yield racial justice. It's, it's not happening. So for me, I was like, well, I'm not going to spend my resources over there if that's never going to happen. And decoloniality offers you other ways to move forward. Mm. So ontology was really the piece for me that was like, you know, like I'm an Akashic Records practitioner. I have a lot of clients that come to me for readings and they come to me because they want to get through these big limiting situations in their lives or, you know, deal. And, and I've been there too. And the records have worked for me. That's why I do this work. But a lot of, a lot of us are hoping for like something that we actually don't believe is possible in our reality to happen. You know, like people, people that are like, Oh, I'm so tired of dating and the apps and I hate it so much. I'm giving it up. And it's like, okay, that's like, like for a while there was a meme going around that says like, I don't chase, I attract. And Mm -hmm. I was like, that is such garbage because like (laughs) you're going to stay at home and just hope that like your perfect partner knocks on your door and is like, is there a single person here? I'd like to date them. Like it's like, it just, I get the exhaustion between uh, around chasing. I get it. But like reality is not designed for this notion of attraction where you're a passive participant and you do nothing in the world. That's not how vibrational law works. Like it just, it doesn't work that way, but we have a hope that it will. So now we spread all these words on the internet and it it, ontologically, it's just like, that's a fantasy. It's not real. Mm. The thing that that made me think of when you said that about, you know, sitting at home and hoping it shows up, it's like, well, I don't know. Is that what attracting is in your ontology? You know, it's like maybe because even that it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like people just generally yeah. out in the world think like if any of us who are, you know, spiritual, whatever, yeah. all, like give yeah. readings to people, we all are into that shit. It's yeah. like if somebody saw one of us post that they're like, they would say that. Even though all of yeah. us are like, well, that's stupid. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even if we don't want to talk spiritually, like let's look at magnets. Like only mm-hmm. specific kinds of metal can attract other magnetic they have particles. To be near. They have to and be they like do have in, to be near. In yeah. relation. Like it goes back yeah. to the thing about relationality. Yeah. It's like if this magnet's here and there's one down the street, that's not yeah. going to It's not going to happen. But also like, like so what I understand is that like our if we're going to get all spiritual and vibrational our vibration is determined by our state of being and our state of being is largely determined by through unconscious beliefs and you know emotional states of being which those are largely determined through like our traumas and what we have experienced and survived so the state of being is the thing that brings forth matches vibrationally mm-hmm. So if we were looking at magnets, the state of being of the metal, like iron or whatever is magnetic, it can't be like aluminum. The state of being has to be iron. Mm -hmm. That metal has to have, it has to possess the qualities in and of itself 
to be magnetic to magnetic particles. So like, you can't be passive. You like iron. I, I don't even know if I'm saying the right thing, but whatever that iron is, is designed to attract other metals are not. And so we have to like, stop hoping that like my tin foil is going to like become magnetic somehow. It never will. It's just, it never will. But if I put all my, you know, my eggs in that basket, I will only be disappointed. And ontology really to me is like, let's look at what reality, what we actually think is real before we start dreaming about something that we don't even believe we could, you know, manifest. Yeah. Yeah. Manifest that shit. Also another Leah favorite, right? I hate manifesting. (laughs) 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 I Um, just hate it as a topic. Yeah. We'll save you from that. Okay. (laughs) I did like an hour and a half IG live just on my ranting around that. Like one time. Yeah. On manifesting. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck manifesting is my thing. (laughs) so what i thought was interesting from what you were saying earlier was this idea of um the idea of resonance came up for Mm -hmm. me which is something Mm -hmm. you talk about a lot Mm -hmm. and about how you know what mary was saying about the magnets have to be close enough to each other and yeah and i think there was something you said once in one of your ig lives about you know putting out like a, a wish into the universe or whatever, and then following resonance to get there. Yeah. 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 And I'm curious to hear you talk more about like, what is resonance? What is the role of resonance? How do you see that working through a living system? Yeah. Um, So this is something that was presented to me through my own participation in my Akashic records. Um, And they wanted me to really be sharing this with everyone that resonance is what we have to listen to. So, um, you know, because people will come to me and one of the number one questions that people ask me is what is my purpose or am I on the right path? Those two things. And the records are always like, you know, at first, at first they would give me answers to give to those people. But as my own development in my own decolonial pursuits evolved and my own, you know, like as I, you know, started to learn all of these things, the records perspective shared with me that there is no purpose. No one comes here with a purpose when, when you're talking about A to B, like I started A, where is my B? What's, what's my purpose? How do I end up at B? how do I make this straight line from where I am now to be? And, and there's like some subtext there of like, well, if I'm at A and I need to get to B and that's how I have purpose, then I inherently don't have purpose until I fulfill it. And that's not true. That's, Mm -hmm. that can't be true because everything and everyone has a role in a living system. It's an ecological way of being. So purpose can't be like the thing that gives us validity. The other Mm -hmm. thing is, the A to B is largely constructed through social normal norms. Like, um, you know, in the, in the U S there's the, the myth of the American dream that you will go to school, get, you know, marry your sweetheart, buy a house, 
um, have some children pass on your generational wealth of your land ownership. And that's how we maintain a middle class. And that's the dream. And so if you start out at A, which is like an infant, and you want to get to B, which is like homeownership and family and stuff like that, how do I do it? You know, like, how do I get there? And so like that trajectory is, you know, it's a false, it's, it's a fallacy. It's fallacious. It's a myth that everyone should be doing that. What the records share is that resonance is a tool that we are given to navigate the earth plane. When we arrive here as, you know, babies with no clothes, no knowledge, no nothing, we have to learn everything. Resonance is a sense that it's a, it's a, it's an ability that comes from pre-birth that is basically like a full body yes or a full body no. Mm. And it tells you, it's very simple, you know, just it's a yes or a no. So that when you're presented with information or decision or a person or a situation and you can, you can feel, yes, I'm going forward with this or, Ooh, no, I am not. This is something is off here, but then we, you know, we're deeply programmed into our society to, um, you know, please other people. So we will suppress our resonance in order to fit into our homes, our families. And then when you throw in trauma, it can make our ability to listen to our resonance very challenging. Like, is this a yes? Or do I just want to fit in because I'm afraid of abandonment? Cause that's what my trauma is. Or is mm-hmm. this a no, but I'm afraid to say no. Cause conflict has, our, I've always been told that conflict is, is bad. And so <clears throat> resonance is just that yes or no. And so there's this really beautiful poem by Antonio Machado and it's, it goes, it's in Spanish, but the English translation basically says, Wayfarer, there is no path. The path is made as you walk or traveler, wanderer. There is no path. The path is made as you walk. And that's really mm-hmm. like what the spell of resonance is that like, all you have to do is say yes to a thing. And you just take that one step in that direction. And when you take that step, more options arise. And then you <laughs> marry. Okay. <laughs> no, keep talking. Cause oh. I feel like there's something that I want to say after you say this. Okay. So like, you 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 make the path as you walk based on what feels like the yes or the no and then you end up in uh i forget what the what the the pattern is called the brownian pattern of when mm-hmm. particles are moving around mm-hmm. like you end up over here and over there you don't go from a to b you go in ways that are so wildly satisfying and growth filled and expansive that like your mind, which told you go from A to B could never even have dreamt those things. And I've seen it for so many people around me for myself included. Like I, I don't have a job, you guys. I mean, I have a job, but like, (laughs) like I never would have dreamed that I could do what I'm doing now ever. Mm -hmm. And I I think all of us can attest to that. It, it's, this is. Yeah. I woke up one day and I was like, "Wow, I really want to do that." <laughs> what thing? No, what just whatever yeah. we are all three currently. Oh doing. yeah, I don't think any of us would have been like when yeah. I grow up. <laughs> yeah, no. I a funny thing. My friend said to me when I my school closed because I was a classroom teacher, and he and then I started this business called Crystals of Altamira, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to make money. I'm not getting any interviews, and. I was suddenly a small business owner because that was what felt 
like the resonant way to move forward at the time. I didn't know that that was resonance. And he goes, that's so weird. Cause you've always struck me as an employee, not oh, an entrepreneur. And I know it sounds rude, but I was like, me too, dude. I never, I wanted an income and healthcare and like, or I never wanted this, but yeah. Okay. There's like a couple things. Okay. Side, is it okay if I talk about, even though I don't really know your chart, I just know that you have things in common with me. Is it okay yeah. if I talk about yeah. that? Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because like we both have a Taurus rising and Taurus moon. Uh huh. And so it's just like, yes, I wanted that like predictability of what yeah. I could expect. Um, so uh, it's funny the thing you said about the uh, employee because it kind of goes yeah. back to like you're a consumer you know it's yeah. like this is what you're like you show up and this is the system that you're yeah. in and this is where yeah. you belong and yeah. like your job do the job yeah. that we told you to do yeah yeah <clears throat> um but to go back to resonance I feel like the way that you were saying that it just reminded me of when I knew you were going to be teaching living systems or even when I first came across, I think it was because our teacher, Britton, um, had shared something of yours. And I was like, who is this person? I like, I remember it was like a full body, like, who is this yeah. Leah Garza? Yeah. That is a full body. Hell yes. You know? Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and then it was just like, I don't know what this is, but I just need to be yeah. near this person and I need to be near whatever you're teaching. And then it was like, okay, I like did a few of the Akashic classes or like yeah. the meditations that you did. And then when you were doing this class, I was like, I have no idea what's going to come out of this, but we need to do it. And I was yeah. like, Jonathan, please do it. I hope. I know. I remember Mary <laughs> saying that. And also it's funny because I haven't actually looked back at the course page from last year, Leah, but uh -huh. I feel like it was all vibe. You know, like you didn't actually yeah. talk about what was going to happen in the, in no. the class. It was just I didn't like, know. I didn't know it was going to happen. <laughs> I didn't write the curriculum ahead of time. I write it each month That's because amazing. I, I, I'm listening to where the, what the class wants mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. our murmuration that always yeah. comes back is like this feeling that we're yeah. all just this yeah thing. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. class has been just a gift that keeps giving. Like it is for one thing, high um, retention, which is rare in a class that's a year long. Mm -hmm. I expected a lot of um, uh, people to drop. I even budgeted for like, like in my head, I was like, okay, we'll get down to like 20 students. We are, we've been holding steady at 34, 35. Um, and we started with like 42 or something. The other thing is the class itself is a living system. So like one, yes, I designed the curriculum listening to like what people want or what they're questioning or where their interests go. Like when we talked, we started talking about Hillman and archetypal psychology, that was never in my plan to talk about. Cause it's so, mm. it's so, I don't put it in the idea of a living system. It's like so academic, so out there, but then it, it wanted to be talked about because people started using the terms and talking about the concepts. And I was like, Oh, this is archetypal psychology. Yeah. So now we're going to build this in. And the other thing is like, the relationships that have been born in this class between students and like, just, you know, I, that is like the ripple in the pond that I live for. That feels like a purpose of mine that like, 
I'm not going to do anything, but maybe I will share something with somebody and then that person will do something and they'll spread it to their community. And like, and, 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 and that just like electrifies me and and I'm watching it happen um, in real time with this class. I love it. Me too. Um, Yeah. I've even ended up taking Helen's uh, classes. Yeah. And also, um, yeah, did like podcast exchanges with Amanda. So, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> <Amazing>. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Wait to listen. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like we kind of jumped right in, Leah. And I'm actually really curious to hear about like Leah Garza, the human. <laughs> and I want to hear about your story a little bit. Like okay. if you, as much as you want to share. Well, when I was a child, my parents were killed in a car accident and I was bitten by a spider. <laughs> no, um, uh, just kidding. I'm a sleeper soldier for the government and I'm, they pump me with adamantium. No, um, I'm not a superhero, One more. but <laughs> I, I don't have any more. I'm from Krypton. <laughs> Krypton. Um, no, um, I, um, I'm born and raised in, I'm, well, my name is Leah Garza. I am the daughter of Arnold Garza and Nancy Garza. Arnold was from Texas, and my family on his side is his, they're um, historically from the Rio Grande Valley um, pre um, Gua- Treaty of Guadalupe. So my my family is Mexican from that that region. My mom's family is from Michigan, and um, you know immigrated here from, from Germany and in Ireland. And I grew up in San Diego, neither of them. Um, they both moved there and found each other and then, uh, gave birth to me and my sister and my sister and mom still live there. My dad passed away, but I grew up there. And by the time I knew by the time I was like 10, I was like, this city is not for me. I'm going to get GTFO as soon as I turn 18. I hate it here so much. Mm. And I remember my mom taking us on a trip one Christmas to visit her old college friend who lived in the Bay area. And we were walking through the campus at UC Berkeley. And I just knew, I was like, this is the place for me. Like, and I didn't know about UC Berkeley or like what schools or what, anything like that. I just like everything about the landscape and this, the vibe and the weather was just, I need to come here. Um, so I ended up going to San Francisco, um, right out of high school and went to San Francisco state for a minute and, um, moved all around. I went, I ended up doing my undergrad in Boston and, um, I did a master's degree in education and a teaching credential at UCLA and then started at Pacifica for my dissertation in 2018. I worked as a classroom teacher and I worked in other like education, like social justice movement kind of things like organizing and nonprofit work. And, um, and then my school closed in 2015. And like I said, I really thought I was an employee. It was a shock to the system. I was 35 at the time and had worked solidly since I was 17 and didn't know what to do with myself. I, I was like, um, it was just so weird. I was rehired by the same charter to start a new school at men's central jail in LA. And I was super excited about it. I had gotten clearance, like security clearance from the LA sheriff's department. I was setting up my classroom 
And my boss called me a week before school started and was like, I don't know how to tell you this, but they revoked your clearance and they won't tell us why. And your, your file is, your record is sealed. So we can't even see why. Um, so that is really what pushed me radically onto the path um, that I'm on now. So um, I, yeah, I, I tried really hard to hold on to the identity of I'm a teacher, I'm an employee, I'm a person, but I couldn't get work. I mean, I was so mm. broke at one point that I was like, deciding between keeping the lights on or keeping my phone on, or am I going to eat or put gas in the car? And like, just, it it was the, the poorest I have ever been as an adult and nothing I was doing to try to make money and to be sustainable was working in, in the, in Mm. like the nine to five world. But simultaneously, I was like learning these kind of spiritual modalities. And those were like, all green lights. Like I was Mm. like, you know, I I learned the records. I learned how to do theta healing and all these other, I started to meet people and I started to get invited to try new things and go to events. And, but I couldn't take that work seriously because I was so invested in this like real world social justice identity that I had for myself. Yeah, I undervalued all of that, even though that world was inviting me in, I was like, that's hokey. That's readers. What, what you know, psychics, like how hokey is that? Um, and I mean, it really got to the point where it was like, my relationship was going to end. I was going to lose my apartment. I mean, I was really truly like at the end of my rope. And I had this like um, moment where I was in San Diego visiting my mom and sister. And my sister took me to the beach. We go to the beach. We have like a beach day together every year. And when I was, you know, she and I grew up um, learning, we learned how to swim in the ocean. My dad was a really strong swimmer and he taught us how to like swim past the breaker waves and like swim, like it was terrifying, but that's how we learned. And when I was like 20 years old, I, um, I almost drowned in like a rip current. I couldn't keep my head above water and I had to be rescued. And it, it terrified me so much that I stopped going in the ocean. Like I would go up to my waist. And this one day it was 2017. We were at the beach and it was packed. It was just like so many people in the water that you like bump into people. And Cynthia, my sister was like, let's just, let's just go out there. Like if something happens, there's tons of people to grab us. Like it's fine. And I was terrified, but we went out there and I was like walking, you know, wading out into the water and pretty much like, well, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Cause like my trauma was taking over. And, but I, I was compelled to go forward, almost like I wanted to die. I wanted to just get, I would die. Like I, I can't afford anything. I can't get a job. I'm not a human being. I just am done. And I went out there and we, there was like a, a moment where all the, the waves were calm. The water was calm and we just floated on our backs. And I don't know what happened other than I did die (laughs) because when I came back from that, I was getting booked to do readings and making so much money, like through this non teaching route, through a non straight work route. But like everything in this other world was blowing up all of Mm -hmm. a sudden. Mm -hmm. And I look back now and I'm like, Oh, that's what surrender is. It couldn't have been thought in my mind. 
it mm-hmm. had to ha- be something out of my control. Like I had to really be put to the test um, because I never would have let go. I was so stubbornly adhered to my identity as, you know, a producer of capital, a worker, a teacher, a social justice person, like something. Mm. And yeah, so that, that really was like the, the moment that really in my head, I still look at that moment as like the pivot point that I, by the end of that year, I stopped even looking for jobs, stop applying for like, I'm just not going to do it. It's so hard. I'm just not going to do it. And then everything else just like came in full bloom into my life. And it was really, I never would have planned that. That's such an amazing story. And also the irony is not lost on me that your records were literally sealed in that school. Right. And then you opened the records. Right. (laughs) Right. I know. You know what's even that? I know. It's so funny. Well, also it's, it pops up everywhere. My, my, partner is a record collector and you can't see it here but in our apartment we have like seven thousand records vinyl records and it's always we're always making a joke i mean not anymore because we've been together forever but like in the beginning you make a joke about like your records are mine like so silly (laughs) so silly yeah i feel like there's been this with resonance and trauma or any of these like the way it keeps getting woven back in is that there's this body sense and that, you know, like, like you talk about the ways or we've talked about, I should say in our class together, Mm -hmm. um, the, like not like certain types of knowledge that Mm -hmm. are valuable or valid or, um, reputable knowledge. Yeah. You've been talking about it. Yeah. Yes. And that there's this sense of, uh, like a hierarchy almost of like, well, this is the best kind of knowledge. Yeah. And yeah. that, you know, your sense of what, whatever your trauma, it's like th- those things are also just doing a really good job. They're trying real hard. What, like, you mean like the trauma responses <clears throat> when they kick in or yeah, equally yeah. valid? Or, yeah. Or like, like maybe it doesn't mean you should listen to them, but it's like, there is something there that like, maybe it's not helping you. I don't know. I guess that's another question. I mean, that brings us into like a different thing, but about like harm too, yeah. because yeah. I know that's another thing you talk about. Yeah. And, and yeah, I don't know. Do you have yeah. anything you want to say about that? Well, I think like what I hear you saying is really about like unmet needs, like trauma responses yes. are trying to meet an unmet need, Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. they're not the most comfortable way to do it or like the most healthy way to do it for your body or whatever, but they're still trying to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and the presuppositions, which is something you brought up earlier. And yeah. I did want us to talk about, uh, yeah. if you want to like, maybe just how, how that came to you? Was it through the Akashic records? No. So with the presuppositions, if there's anyone out there that is going to take this class in the future, I want to make this distinction that it is not a cult. And here's why. Um, so because if you <laughs> but just, if it is, <laughs> sign me on. <laughs> um, it, no, it is not. I'm already the president of your fan club, Leah. <laughs> it is, it is, please, it is not. It is not. Um <laughs> So all curriculum has an agenda, whether you are learning math, whether you are learning history, English, it all has an agenda, but 
in colonial wisdom, like in modernist, like epistemology, modernist wisdom, we assume an objectivity as a, as a teacher, they call it a, a zero point epistemology that like, I'm the researcher, I'm the learner, and I'm going to start from knowing nothing and look out into the world. And there I will learn things by making assumptions. But really what's happening is you're a person bringing your lens and your knowledge and all your programming and all your histories that you've known, like your folk knowledge that you've learned from wherever you bring that when you go into a learning system. So curriculum is no different. It's designed by a person and that person is bringing their full self to the table too. So I realized that what makes this curriculum and living systems different from like where I'm at at the university or just straight up spiritual curriculum is that I do have an agenda. This isn't, um, I, this isn't objective knowledge I'm trying to impart, Um, what I saw was here when we did try to study this stuff objectively in school, here's where I saw my classmates struggle. We didn't have anyone telling us that we're good. We didn't have the belief Mm. that we could be inherently good. And, and I make, so, so what I did was like, I'm just going to be transparent with my agenda. And that's where the presuppositions came from. Mm. And I, I make a point to say that like, presuppositions doesn't mean that they're true. So I'm not telling you, here's the truth. Believe it. It's the only way what I, which is what a cult would do. What I'm saying is here's what I presuppose. And this is the foundation upon which the curriculum is there for built. You can agree or disagree with the presuppositions, but the way that I'm going to teach you presupposes that these things are in the foundation. I love that. And I think, Something that I struggle with a lot is this idea of neutrality because yeah. I don't, I really don't see it. I really it don't doesn't see exist. that any of us can be neutral. Yeah, it doesn't exist. There, It's impossible to be neutral. Yeah. It's impossible to be objective. It's impossible to be outside looking in. We're always mm-hmm. entangled. We're always in relationship in some way. So if we just start from that perspective, then we can see what can emerge. But if we continuously believe I'm outside looking at nature, I'm out here observing you, I'm over here learning about, instead of seeing this as a relationship, we come up against the same struggle. And that struggle is extraction. Like I'm outside of the planet. Therefore I can take from the planet. I'm outside of knowledge. Therefore I can like, take the knowledge like yeah 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 so seven months in leah into Mm -hmm. this curriculum right i'm curious to hear your perspective on like how it's going and where you think you might want to take it next year i have a tendency to not think i'm shit like just like oh i haven't done anything and so i uh, you know, up until very recently, because I just, I make the curriculum by myself. I'm not in dialogue with anyone, you know, sometimes I'll ask some of my professors for like, oh, do you have a reading on this or that? But it's been my own design. And I'm just like, oh God, am I wasting people's time doing this? I haven't done anything here, there. 
And I made this um, little diagram to show what month we studied, which like which teacher, which authors, and then who was the guest teacher. And I showed it to the chair of my department and, and the other professor who's in our core faculty. And they were like, this is a whole university. Like this is, and, and, and it was like, I needed to have them reflect back to me with the work that I've done in order to see like, oh yeah, I did a lot of stuff. And, and, but like in my head, I don't normally have that, like, good job, Leah, you're doing great. Like, yeah. I, I don't have that voice. That's really relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's relatable. And that's fitting because it's like, that's the relationality of it too, yeah. is that in having like some, like, we need that perspective sometimes yeah. just to have like the, the relationships that are there for us and supportive that we, we know when we hear something yeah. from people who, yeah. who you trust. And it's almost, it made me think yeah. like you almost need your own presuppositions. Like Leah, what if all of your, you know, like if you just went into your course, the, like the way that you're making your course is like, you are inherently good. And also we're obsessed with you and we're still here. So <laughs> either you're a really good cult leader or. I might be a have... really good cult leader. <laughs> I don't know yet. Scorpio seventh house, baby. I might. Is that what I have? Scorpio seventh house? Yeah. Oh. Because so I don't know, Jonathan, do you want to say anything about Scorpio seventh house? <laughs> I I feel like you, you both are the experts here. Um, you're living well, you know, it, I'm it? like, what do you see with among us? Uh, yeah. So Scorpio, I mean, there's that like, so seventh house being about uh, your partnerships and relationships, which is another fitting uh, way to bring this into it. Um, that that so having it be Scorpio is this like intense, emotional, complex and manipulative at times, mm-hmm. if need be. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say, I'm like, I know I'm just generalizing. Yeah. Like, I'm just saying this. Generally, yeah. But there is this sense of like, just, I would say in my experience that there's this um, interest in learning about people in that particular, through that particular way. Yeah. And, and it's just like, I just want to get into the meat of it, you know, like I yeah. don't want to, well, it's, and imagining you floating too is just like you're just in it, you know. And then how Scorpio, because Scorpio season things die and things get composted, mm. so Taurus season can get born again. And by born again, we do not mean Jesus. Yeah, no. Or do we? No. It's interesting that you say that because I I have struggled with you know I'm going to use this word although I don't necessarily believe in it like or this phrase. I've struggled with my shadow aspect of, am I a sociopath? This is something that I have like considered my whole life because I, I have a, I know I recognize that I have a gift for making, building relationships very quickly, building trust Mm -hmm. with people, knowing what I can read people instantly. I can look at a picture of someone and read them like, and then I know what to do with them to yes. get them to do what I wanted them to do. And I, when I was a manager, I, I was living in San Francisco. I had a staff of like 21 people making $11 an hour for four hours a day. And these, some of them stood 
stayed with me for like three or four years. That is not a living wage in San Francisco. Mm. And I know that it, and I remember asking people like, why would you do that? Like, get out of here, go make money. And they're like, because we want to work with you. And, and that is something that, because I also have the voice, it's like, you ain't shit would be like, what, why, why would anyone stay working with me? Like what? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so like, it really wasn't until I got to Pacifica because I was very afraid of this side of me because I am very afraid of like having an influence on anyone, Mm. much less a negative influence. And it wasn't until I got to Pacifica where I really was like learned that like, you know, especially because now I'm a psychologist, like a sociopath is a construction within one ontology. Mm -hmm. Another way that I could look at myself is that I deeply care about relationships and I am very intuitive about, you know, the needs and, and interests of people. And, you know, like I'm relational, I'm not, you know, yeah. I, I think uh, there's a little extra part. Like, why are you a sociopath? Like there are things that I do. that are like, like something will happen and I'll be like, okay, I'm over it. Let's move on. And other people are like dwelling on it. So like, mm-hmm. that's a little like devoid of emotion. Sometimes I'm like, I don't get it. Let's move on. Let's go. So that there, there are little things like that, that I didn't mention, but um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm trying to come to terms with my, innate ability to build relationships and it's also interesting to notice how the two of them are actually kind of corrective mechanisms of each other right like the voice that's like you ain't shit and then the other one that's like deeply caring how how is that tracking with your experience mary with your also seventh house in scorpio so relatable yeah really yeah i i feel like well because i grew up in a really big family Um, and I think at the time it was almost just like entertaining, like a way to see what make, what makes people tick and then seeing how other people interact and you're like, oh, I get what's going on. Like, I just, I just want to watch and I'm not going to do anything with it, but if I wanted to, I, I would know how (laughs) and, and that there's this like. I think seeing you in a position of a, of a teacher or just this role of facilitating, it's like, I have this, like to go back to your superhero thing that you said earlier, it's like, I have this ability, but do I use it for good? Like, it's like, I'm using this and I have this responsibility, but it's also like a, uh, like a gift that you can, that you can use to like, I don't know, like it, like the way, like for you to take on this course is it's like, uh, how do I want to say this? Um, like, you're almost like give you're testing the waters of like letting yourself be like, yeah. am I going to go there? Am I going to do it? Yeah. Oh, and it turns out I can trust myself. I'm yeah. not a psychopath mm-hmm. or I'm yeah. not a sociopath. Yeah. And, I am and, a psychopath though. Yeah. Psychopath. <laughs> but I, yeah. Um, that's the, um, Yeah. And I think for me, there's something that's like, just because I know this about people, it doesn't mean that I'm bad. Like, just because because it's like, it can be viewed as evil. Yeah. Like to have this awareness. Yeah. I mean, we, we see people use it for bad all the time. So mm -hmm. we assume that because it's there, 
it's a tool of badness, but yeah. And maybe it's a, yeah. And like Jonathan was saying that it's the, this balance between like what I can do with it for good and that, you know, coming into a place where you're using it to show people that it's supportive and that people feel like there's something about like people feeling seen by you and that it's like a safe place and not a vulnerable to it. Like, like people are not vulnerable to attack. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That it actually is like a protected and uh, like a nurturing space to be. I thank you for those words a lot. And I think that's like, one of the reasons why I assumed that people would be having meltdowns in this curriculum because I am pushing into people's faces, alternate realities, essentially. And that can be very jarring to be like, what, you know? And um, so I thought, oh, people are going to want to take this, but they're going to have a hard time with it. And I was reflecting with my teacher, my, my chair, who I showed all the curriculum to like, no one, a few people have had a hard time. Um, but nobody's freaked out the way they have at Pacifica, like it, you Mm. know, like in, as a response to the, to the curriculum. And we agreed that it's because I'm really pushing the presuppositions really hard all the time so that we have like a container to hold our questions and our weirdness and like, Mm -hmm. and, and I, yeah, I was just like, it's, it's a shame that the university can't, doesn't allow us to, you know, essentially what I'm being is a politicized teacher. I'm just illustrating, I'm demonstrating like a, pol- a politicization in my teaching. Here's my bias. I'm transparent about it. This is what I want to teach you. And it, it, it would change our experience at Pacifica, I think, if the, the professors could be that way. But mm-hmm. it's not, it's not it's not okay. But something you were saying about like even good or evil. And then the question about harm is really like like, interesting to me because, you know, good and evil are very monolithic. Like Mm -hmm. you're Mm -hmm. either this or you're that there's no in between, there's no other story. And the same thing with harm. Harm is like a monolith. It's like, once you're harmed, there's no other way to look at it. There's no, Mm -hmm. and that's, and that's, that's very much in the social justice colonial ontology that that reality believes that monolithicness but I really don't believe in that anymore so like I've had experiences where I know that I have only the best interest of a student at heart and I may not be the person to deliver a certain thing to them for whatever reason, maybe they just don't like me. Maybe I look like another teacher they hated. Maybe mm. they didn't eat that day before they came to school, whatever. And maybe I have to engage in like, like when I was in a class teaching the classroom, like, oh, well, you didn't do your homework. Um, I have to give you an F for this assignment, like whatever. There's like, maybe there's a way that I have to operate that they will receive as harm. And I can't argue with their experience, but I also have to accept that like me just being me may feel harmful to people, even if that's not what I intended. Mm -hmm. And even if I try to repair it, there may not be a repair. It may just be that there are people walking around this planet that hate me or feel scared of me or feel like I'm violent or, you know, whatever, because they will construe it that way. Even if I, use all of my attempts to 
repair the rupture, use accountability, do, you know, whatever reconciliation, it just might not happen. And so we can't escape harm, but also harm is tantamount to death essentially. And Mm -hmm. so we believe once we're harmed, we are, you know, irreversibly damaged or, you know, we can't come back from it. And that's also just not true either. Yeah. I mean, I have full compassion, I think, thinking about where this idea of harm even comes from or why it even takes such a hold on our psyche as people who grew up in the West, right? Who was born with the backdrop of like the Christian Mm -hmm. way of thinking of like saving, right? Because it's interesting thinking about like the Taoist, you know, in Taoist magic and Taoist perspective, there's this idea that if you do good, you cannot do good without doing harm. If you do harm, Mm -hmm. you cannot do harm without doing good, which to me is also extremely like, akashic in some ways like Mm. that's the kind of stuff that the records would like say all the time Mm. you know yeah and that there's space for nuance like we're so uh, culturally we're so hung up on this thing that uh if if i have something then i'm taking it from you or if i am like you know you were you leah you were saying about um if you've been harmed or it's like the trauma it's like this impurity that yeah. now I've been made impure and I can yeah. never be fixed again. Yeah. And it's like the sin it's yeah. sinful. And yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, it, it also along with harm is like an adjacent conversation around victimization and agency. Mm-hmm. We actually talked about this in the December class. Um, when I was trying to talk about beliefs in ontology and you know, there's a tendency in the social justice world to impose victimhood on anyone who has experienced harm under a system, that they just are victims and powerless. You know, like if you live in poverty or if you experience racism. And I want to say, yes, on the one hand, you might experience or have a higher probability of experiencing harmful conditions because of your social identities in this society that oppresses specific identities, but that does not erase your agency as a human. That doesn't erase your agency as a soul. You still have the ability to, even if it's just choose how you will think about a situation. And, and there's like another, another colonial aspect of like how you will think, like even saying that is like, especially in psychology, you know, a lot of psychology, Western psychology is trying to normalize, you know, the way that you think about the world, like, no, that's not real. Like that's not reality. Like, like a person who's experiencing like auditory hallucinations, Mm -hmm. trying to tell them that isn't real. That's your, that's just a voice in your head. Like what is real? They're experiencing it. You know, like, why would we tell them that their experience isn't real? You know, like, and, and at one point, along with my records, we, I abandoned, I abandoned like status quo stories in favor of stories about myself and my life that will just feel better. So like when people are like, you know, oh, that's just magical thinking. I'm like, fuck, yes, it is magical thinking. That is the only way that I want to think is in terms of creating narratives that like 
will make this experience on earth tenable to me. It will make it digestible because it's very difficult here. Yeah. Yeah. I had this conversation about spiritual bypassing the other day with yeah. a friend. And I'm like, let's think about this, right? Is spiritual bypassing even possible? Like you literally cannot get out of this body if you're still in this body, yeah. right? You are yeah. tethered to whatever hardship and reality. And the whole point of spirituality is to kind of resolve some of those yeah. ways yeah. of being, right? That have yeah. kept you stuck. So in a way it is bypassing, but it's like, it's more that I think, I don't know, like, and it's funny because we actually, I actually had a conversation with Helen about this the other day about how uh-huh. like the thing we want to talk about and the words don't match. Right. Like yeah. the, the, the yeah. energetics of what we're yeah. trying to say doesn't actually yeah. match with the words. So that's yeah. where the challenge is. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't believe I, spiritual bypassing is ontological. In a social justice world, then it makes perfect sense. Like everyone, all these people are experiencing harm from the system and you, because of your privileged identity can opt out of experiencing that or even facing it. Cool. Or you might use your spiritual beliefs to totally dismiss or diminish someone's real experience under oppression. But when we're looking at unmet needs as the thing that drives behavior, then it's like, okay, spiritual bypassing with quotes around it, spiritual bypassing is an attempt to meet an unmet need. Mm -hmm. If that unmet need, you know, like when I think about like, yeah, I don't want to face that there's poverty killing tons of people and like cops that are killing only black boys and like, no shit, I don't want to face it. Of course, I'm I'm going to bypass it because it's meeting my need to not engage. Mm -hmm. What you're talking about in the spirit, in the social justice world is, if I got to do it, you got to do it. And that mm-hmm. doesn't open up the imagination for how we can recreate reality in which the cops aren't killing black people, in which there's a, you know, a, a, a more equitable distribution of resources so that people are not experiencing poverty. Like it, it, it spiritual bypassing as a concept, especially like on Instagram or all the mob mentality that it, it's mob mentality. It is an attempt to police mm-hmm. other people's experiences instead of bringing them in to be like what are the unmet needs here yeah yeah and And it's like also what's more colonial than that right Mm -hmm. (laughs) totally exactly it's like when when you were talking about equitable uh like distribution of resources it's like well if i have to suffer you have to instead of it being like um maybe there's a way we can get out of this. It's just like, totally. if I'm in pain, you should also be in pain. Yeah. And and also to care about it means I have to suffer. And it, it goes back to this, like putting the responsibility on the individual totally. when there's all of this system a that system. is against yeah. us. Yeah. But it's like, let me put this on you because you yeah. weren't recycling or whatever. That's yeah. why the oceans polluted yeah and it's like but why did you give us so much plastic in the first place who yeah. let that happen yeah totally and you know like, like the akashic records so like the akashic records as a concept is a colonial um it's colonial it was you know it comes from the um vedantic like hindu concept of 
Akasha, which is one of the primary building blocks of existence, the primary element of the ether. So it's like the ether of the, the place of which anything may be born, multiple, you know, infinite timelines exist. It is the place of creation. And then these Victorians came along and were like, oh, so all the information's there. It must be like a record. So let's impose this ontological picture over this undefinable thing so that we can now digest it for our world that we live in. And people come to me all the time, you know, like even to engage with the records, which do they exist? Do they don't exist? I can't say for sure. I believe the story, but it's a story. It works for me, but like people come all the time and just going to the records for anything is spiritual bypassing then. Mm-hmm. Like I'm using a spiritual technology essentially to validate my existence or to mm-hmm. get information that my human self could solve if I had compassion for myself, if I knew I was inherently good, if I had, um, you know, self-confidence, all the things that we resonance, resonance, all the things that we come to the records to ask about, we have that already in us, Mm -hmm. but it's obscured in this ontology in the colonial reality, because we are told we are void of power. We are just workers for the state. Mm And it's like, oh, I couldn't possibly have that within myself. I need somebody else to yeah. tell me what yeah. to do. Yeah, exactly. When Roe versus Wade was was overturned, I got an onslaught of messages like, what do the records have to say about this? Because, you know, historically I have, you know, spoken about political things from my readings in the records. And I refused to even ask because I was like, like when, when, um, when Bernie Sanders was not nominated for the Democratic um, nom- like uh, candidacy, I opened the records to be like, what, why? He, everyone was like really rallying around him. And the, the records were like, because you guys still think that someone's going to save you. Bernie wants people who are ready to do the work who are ready to like step into their power and make decisions. But as a collective, you're still waiting to be saved. So you're going to go with the guy that is going to like, tell you, I will save you. I will do yeah. this. I will do that. And it was, yeah. I think it was Hillary. It was Biden. Right. So mm-hmm. we don't believe that we possess the things that are needed to shift into the things that we think we're doing when we perform social justice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I feel like we should probably come to a close in a little bit. Um, you know, we can talk for hours on end, Leah, but... Um, no, I really could. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I guess... You're going to for- see your analytics and be like, people don't listen to the end of a two-hour podcast. <laughs> Also, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, and that was kind of our approach to it is just like, yeah. this is just our friendship yeah. that is happening to be recorded. Yeah, yeah totally. Exactly. That's what it's my podcast offshoot. feels like the vibe of yours. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. I love that. So my question for you, and I, and I would want to make space for any questions you might have to marry as a kind of final question. But my question for you, Leah, is... Um, if anyone is thinking about doing living systems mm-hmm. next year, yeah, what would you tell them? 
I would say use your resonance. That was like my main thing because I know that this curriculum isn't for everyone, mm. but like in, and that was like the, the info sheet even says like, after you've read my little description, if this still feels right, like close your eyes, see if it feels right. And if it feels right, let's go. And if it doesn't feel right, that's fine too. You'll find the thing that you're like, let us stop forcing things because we think we need to be a certain way or to look good on our resume or, you know, whatever use resonance. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just curious about your, like, where do we go from here? Where are you going from here? I mean, I know we're still, it's still going yeah. and, and your work with your PhD you're in the yeah. middle of. So yeah. Like how yeah. has our, how has our class it, there's no way it didn't influence you. We're all, we're all yeah. influencers together. Yeah. yeah. So has that changed yeah. what you, what you're doing? Yeah. I'm packing up my bindle and moving on to another town. <laughs> like, no, no. <laughs> um, I feel so good about having this first year down because now I have a real curriculum that can turn into like Jonathan, you gave me the idea of doing a workbook early on a workbook, a textbook, or like some kind of book that accompanies it. Um, I am starting a year long Akashic mentorship also next year. And I want, I, I feel like I would love to develop living systems into like, I mean, into like a, a public school, essentially. Like Mm. imagine if like, Imagine if like you chose out of the guest teachers who you wanted to work with long time as like electives or like, you know, like imagine if you took, you could specialize in certain areas of it. Imagine if there was like a living systems 2.0, like I just, the, the, and and it's not that there's more to learn, but it's that the work, this curriculum is so dense. Just the idea, like in the beginning I had us do like colonial uh, what was like colonial field work notes. Um, and it was because there's always something about colonialism that we don't recognize as present. Yeah. Like I'm still, I, I, and I will forever be like, Oh my God, that's from colonialism. That's from colonialism. And if we aren't, if we don't come into an awareness of those things, we cannot, um, we can't pry under the ontology we live in to see what else is possible. Mm-hmm. So it's like really chewing on the, this material and internalizing it and letting it entangle with us and letting us change with it as we change it. You know, like that, that's really like what I, I hope. And I, I don't have a plan for my life because I just use resonance. I'm going to finish this degree and I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the process of launching a business that will offer um, like a decolonial perspective for businesses that are trying to do like DEIA work, like diversity, Mm -hmm. equity, inclusion work. Like that's very social justice modernist. What if we offer decolonial perspectives to our work lives and our work ways? So that's something that I'm working on, but that's not going to be till post dissertation, but I don't know what's going to happen. I love it. I love love it. And I want to share too um, my experience with my pod, Leah, because it's so profound. Yeah. A couple of days ago, we had a meeting and it was Michelle's birthday and Michelle was outside of the United States. And 
we all was were just like we were meeting up and it was amazing to even it's almost like what i'm what i'm observing right is like you kind of gave us these structures you and the guest teachers were giving us these structures and then we start to play with them because they feel fun they feel exciting yeah. and then they start to get integrated into our lives in ways that we don't even we can't even fathom like yeah for me like even just you know, starting these pod meetings, right? We would just read the presuppositions. We would read the field work questions yeah. and then we would just go. And then we'd be doing the living poetry thing that Dana yeah. taught us. And then we basically started social dreaming. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's that's just like, so amazing. it's so like the, the, the concepts here. And then recently during a reading, you reminded me of, um, I think it was Coyote. Uh-huh right who was talking about like who would you be without those yeah extra mm-hmm. words like describe yeah. yourself without those labels Identity that you got words. From yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and yeah. it was so profound and i've been thinking about that and i'm i'm thinking about like how can i bring that into all of my yeah. life like what if i yeah. start astrology sessions astrology readings literally telling people to tell me about themselves without titles yeah yeah, astrology is such a a good like a very it's like such a closed container of knowledge that you can really examine where is it colonial, where is it mm-hmm. not? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. and then and then you can start to make you can push back on astrology even though it's been done for however many years or whatever millennia you can make changes to the way it's done because we are co-creators of this existence mm-hmm. it is not an immovable monolith like mm-hmm. you can say hey this is colonial let's do it this other way yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah totally and i've been starting the readings that i've done with people i've been starting them doing the presuppositions and then yeah. going through the invocation and yeah. it almost always Uh, comes up in the rest of the reading where it's like okay but if we think about these unmet needs or we think about that you're inherently good there's just this reminder yeah even if you don't say you have to yeah you don't have to believe this let's just try this idea on yeah and if it it resonates with you cool if it doesn't let it go yeah but then it it opens a space where people feel free to really be with their experience rather than modifying it for the person they're with Yes. And it's like, we're actually in relationship. And also what you're talking about is pluriversality. Like you're opening Mm. up another world in which a person, well, in that world, I'm inherently good. Let's see what that world feels like adjacent to this world where I'm struggling to know my goodness. It's not one world is right. One is wrong, but like, let's see what the differences are in ontologies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Thank you, guys. It's just been so special. This just is so special that you guys are doing this. I love it so much. Yeah. Thank you for you and for all the work you do. You're so welcome. The world is a better place with you in it. You know what? Same to both of you. So, so there. (laughs) 